Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Well, good morning, Generations Church family. I'm so thankful that you've joined us today online here for our 11 o'clock service. We already had a great service at 9.15, and uh, we're just thankful that you've chosen to spend part of your day with us. We never take that for granted. Uh, It is beautiful outside. In between services, I stepped outside here at Generations Church into the parking lot, man, and the sun's shining. It feels great. Hopefully, you have some plans today to get out in that beautiful weather, and whatever those plans are, I hope that you enjoy your day and that you enjoy the week. Uh, that's coming before you. And I know that, you know, we can't be together right now in person, uh, but that day is soon coming. I told you I was, I was going to update you as soon as we know uh, more information. And so our contractors have worked diligently this week to finish the work that the fire marshal added to uh, the scope of our work, the plans that we already had. Uh, and so when he came for inspections, he added some work. They have done a great job just completing that work. And so now it's a waiting game. We're waiting on the fire marshal to approve those plans or approve the work. I apologize. And as soon as he does that, we'll be ready to announce to you when we're going to regather uh, in person. And so for those that feel comfortable doing so, we can't wait to do that. So you should hear from us in the next day or two, hopefully. Uh, And if you don't feel comfortable joining us in person, which we totally respect and understand, then we're going to continue to stream online, continue to enhance that experience for those that are going to be home worshiping with us so that we'll have two different ways that you can engage Generations Church and really the presence and power of God. And so we're thankful for that. But even when we can't gather together in person for worship, ship. It doesn't mean we're not gathering together in other ways. I know this last week or two, some of our G groups were getting together in some different ways. Uh, I know some of you, uh, your G team has been huddling up on Sunday mornings, and so we're thankful for that. Corey and I were able to get together with the G team for Generation Youth this weekend, and we've got a, a plan to get together with some of the G kids workers and volunteers over the next few weeks as well. Uh, and then also, this past Thursday night, I don't want to brag about it, but this past Thursday night, our Generations Church men's softball team won the Summer League championship. We got a woohoo right there for that. So congratulations. They are a G group. And so it's not just getting together, playing softball. It's also gathering together and praying together and doing life together, even in between games and things. So congrats to those guys. And then we also have some plans for some things that are coming up. So this coming weekend, Friday night, the 24th and Saturday, the 25th, uh, we are having our generation youth summer camp. And so we want your middle school and high school student to be a part of this before school begins. We're going to be safe. We're going to be careful, uh, but we're also going to have a lot of fun. It's here at the church. The cost is just 20 bucks for the two days. That includes several meals and all the the fun games that we're going to have over the course of those two days. And so we'd love for them to be a part of that. You can register uh, at g.church right now for your middle school or high schooler to be a part of a great weekend uh, with us for our summer camp experience. And then we also, on Saturday, August the 1st, to cap off the summer, just before school begins, we have our G Kids VBS Family Day, which is going to be a really great experience, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. here at the church. Uh, On that Saturday, we're going to have a ton of carnival games and activities. We've got Kona Ice coming. We're going to have a family time of worship. Uh, Just a really special day, again, for all of our G-Kids families to get together here at the church. There's no cost to you. You can go to g.church and register for that event as well to help us to plan just to know that your family's coming. We'd love to have you be a part of that. G-Kids VBS Family Day on Saturday, 
August the 1st. But today, I am really excited because we're continuing in our Suit Up series that we've been in over the last few weeks here in this summer. And, and when I say that any given Sunday, like, I'm really excited, it really is because I am excited. I love God's Word. I love the power of God's Word in our lives. And so I love for us to be able to engage God's Word together, even when we're separated by distance. And so today, we continue in this series that we've, we've been in, again, for several weeks, talking about the armor of God. And when we talk about the armor of God, we're talking about the Apostle Paul referencing in Ephesians chapter 6, how we can equip ourselves to stand up against the schemes of the enemy, how we can find victory against the enemy that's trying to kill us, because it's not just the things that we're facing. We recognize that we're a part of a spiritual battle. We are a part of the battle of good versus evil that has been going on uh, since the beginning of time. And so we read this in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, where it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And what I've said every single week as we read those few verses together is that the circumstances that you're facing, the things you're walking through, um, they're not just the flesh and blood that's right in front of you. It's not just the person on your job that frustrates you. It's not just somebody that's you know, kind of making your life more miserable. We believe that the spiritual battles of good versus evil are at play, and we are wrestling against, we're fighting against evil forces. And so for us, how do we find victory in that? We take on the full armor of God, the Apostle Paul tells us. And these different components, these different things that we can wear are referenced throughout several other places in Scripture, but this is the most succinct place that it's listed here as as Paul writes a letter to the church and the community of faith there in Ephesus. And so we started this several weeks ago, but I want to just recap a little bit of where we've been by reading it from Scripture. So Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 13, it says this, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Well, we've referenced all of those except the last two that are listed there in verse 17. The helmet of salvation, which we're talking about today, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which we're talking about next Sunday. And so today we want to talk about the helmet of salvation. And even as I say that, I recognize that what I've been wrestling with over these last few months in anticipation of this series, because we knew where we were going to spend our time, is that it's interesting to me, and it's always been interesting to me, that the helmet of salvation is at the end of this list. It's actually the last piece of armor that you put on The sword of the Spirit is something that you would hold and use uh, as a weapon against the enemy, but you're taking on the helmet of salvation, so it's the last piece of armor you wear in this list. But it would seem for most of us that we've always viewed salvation as the beginning, as the first step in a relationship with God. And so why is this first step listed last? Now, the Apostle Paul, as he's talking about the armor of God, would obviously have been also writing in such a way that those that were reading this letter would have understood the order in which the soldiers would have put on their armor. And they would have put on their helmet last after they had equipped themselves with the belt and the breastplate and and they had put their shoes on and they had gotten the shield and they're ready to go. Just before they go into battle, they would have put their helmet on as the last piece of armor that they would have equipped their body with. So I think that's important to understand understand that just from a practical standpoint. But I also think it's important to recognize that the order the Apostle Paul uses here is important from a theological standpoint as well. 
Because for us to truly be saved, and I'm not trying to make salvation harder than it is, I think we make it too hard sometimes based on what God has, has desired or designed for each of us related to coming to him for salvation. I think it's important to see the theological impact here because for us to really receive salvation, we have to start with the truth. And so the belt of truth being listed first acknowledges that we believe that God is who he says he is and that we are who God says we are. And so we're grounded in the truth. We we look to the truth and we determine that it is true that we need salvation. And so we start with the truth. Well, then when we discover the truth, we recognize that what we talked about a few weeks ago is that our own efforts for righteousness are but filthy rags. We cannot put on our breastplate of our own righteousness. So once we've recognized the truth, we recognize that our righteous efforts fall short. And then when we do that, we go, oh, wow, okay, well, then I'm definitely guilty, and I'm definitely good for nothing, perhaps, and so God's just up there trying to punish me. I remember when I was a teenager, and I was really trying to learn who God was in my life. I pictured God during that season of my life almost like Zeus, just up there is this God of lightning and thunder, and he was throwing arrows and flaming arrows of punishment and judgment my way. But that's not who God is at all. He is a just and holy and righteous God who must punish sin to maintain his holiness and his righteousness. But he's also a God of peace and he's a God of grace and mercy. And in the present day, the present age, he is not punishing our sins. He's he's withholding his judgment to allow all to possibly be saved. And so he is, as we, we, we look from the belt of truth to the breastplate of righteousness to fitting our feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace, we see the peace of God as we recognize our own inability to be righteous. And so God, thank you for your peace and your grace and your mercy towards us so that we can find salvation, but we find salvation through faith. The shield of faith that we take up next in the armor, we take that shield of faith up because scripture tells us that we are saved through faith alone. So it's through faith after recognizing the truth and seeing our own inadequacies, but understanding the peace of God towards us, we take faith And in that, we can discover salvation that's available to all of us. I think it's important to see that the Apostle Paul here was giving us the order by which we could determine who God is. And so in this moment of salvation, which I believe it's a moment, it's an event, it's a a thing where you go, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And so we offer that opportunity every time that we gather, whether we're gathered online or gathered in person, at the end of the sermon, at the end of the message, no matter what we've been preaching on, we're going to give you a chance to respond to that. But if we say, hey, we want to make sure if you recognize right now through the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you need to take that first step and that next step in pursuit of Jesus Christ to go, hey, I am a sinner in need of a Savior and I need him to be my Lord and the forgiver of my sins, we want to give you that chance. Well, that's a moment. As soon as you recognize that and acknowledge that according to Scripture, then you can be saved. So then, if that's the case, then what does it look like to take on the helmet of salvation? Is it a one-time thing? Well, I don't believe that taking on the helmet of salvation is just one time. I think salvation is that moment of decision where we acknowledge that. But I think if we look at the helmet of salvation, we recognize that in the armor of God, it is protecting our head. And as it protects our head, according to scripture, the head is actually representative in almost every place that head is utilized as representative of the whole body. If you look in Matthew chapter 19, verse 15, you see that when someone receives a blessing, they place their hands on the head of the person, but their blessing 
the whole person. We see from Genesis chapter 49, verse 26, that a curse will fall on someone's head, but that curse is over their whole body. When Jesus crushes the head of the serpent, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we recognize that he's rendering the enemy uh, incapable of finding victory because it's for the whole body of the enemy, and so he destroys him completely. Therefore, we must protect the head at all costs by putting on salvation, but also holding to that salvation in the pursuits of our life Because just like I talked about last week as it related to faith and faithing forward, salvation is a work that requires us to believe that which is yet unseen. The reality of our lives in the present age is that when you sin, you may pay a consequence for that sin on the earth, but you are not paying the penalty for that sin as it relates to eternity. God has withheld his judgment. And so we are living in an age where we would have to believe that we are being saved from our sin, the salvation work, which is not yet seen. There's a study related to salvation called uh, soteriology, and it's really a study of or a doctrine of the theology of salvation. It's an understanding of redemption and justification and sanctification and propitiation and substitutionary atonement, and all of those are words that my grandfather would call $2 words. But as we understand what they mean, it's an understanding that God must punish sin, And so what do we believe about that punishment and what do we believe about God withholding that punishment in this day? As we talk about salvation, what are we actually talking about? And I would encourage you, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time or you've been around the church for a while, not to tune me out for the next few minutes, but let's really dive into what is salvation so that we would understand what God is calling us to take on as it relates to the helmet of salvation. Salvation, by definition, is saving from punishment. It is receiving deliverance. So for Christians, we're saying that salvation means receiving deliverance from the penalty of sin. I think so many of us have forgotten that there is a penalty for sin, not just an earthly consequence. I mean, if you, if you kill somebody, the earthly consequence is that you're going to go to jail, right? But there is a penalty for that sin as it relates to God and having to punish sin, So the Apostle Paul talks about this in a couple of other places as well throughout the New Testament about what we are saved from and what we are saved by. Look at this in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. This is a, a verse we quote a good bit around here. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We are saved. We do not have to experience the death that comes from sin. We're saved through the death of Jesus Christ, which gives us life. But that middle verse there says that we shall be saved from wrath. What is this wrath that we're saved from? It's the wrath of God against Sin. Since we were all, when we've all sinned, the penalty of that sin is that the, the, the death that is due us, the penalty that has to be paid by us, was paid by someone else. Look at this in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, For all the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. That's one of the first verses that a lot of people memorize, and they can quote to you. But I think so many of us have forgotten to live that out, to recognize that the wages, the the penalty, the payment of sin is not just that we're a bad person. It's actually death. It's actually being separated from God for eternity. And so salvation then is about eternal life. It's about the gift of God, which he greatly desires for all of mankind. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it says this. It says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. He desires that all men, all women, all children could be saved. That's his heart toward you. That's one of the reasons I believe that in this age that we live in, that God is withholding judgment as it relates to sin, to allow all to be saved. So how can we be saved? What is it that we're talking about as it relates to salvation? Titus chapter 3, verse 5 through 8 says this, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Verse 7 said right there, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs through the hope of eternal life. I told you earlier that for me, salvation is about Seeing something, believing something that you can't yet see. It's hoping for salvation. That's what John Wesley calls it. He he talks about it being the hope of salvation, which is where we draw draw that from 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, where it says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We're trusting, believing Hoping, we talked about last week making faith a verb, faithing for salvation, to believe that what God has promised us is actually possible. That salvation or deliverance from sin opens the door for us to join the family of God, to be the sons and daughters of God. But I also believe that salvation is not just about the deliverance of sin. I believe it's not just about going to heaven, and I believe it's not just about being a son and daughter of God in a specific moment. I also believe that salvation is this assurance that we can live with God forever because we have freedom from sin ongoing. And I know sometimes when you start thinking about the the circumstances of your lives and the temptation that you may face and the things that are going on around us, I recognize that maybe that seems impossible, that you would be able to withstand sin and and you would be free from sin and be delivered from the, the, the schemes of the enemy. But I do believe that when we're talking about a helmet of salvation, we're believing that it is possible what almost seems impossible. That hope of salvation is the freedom that's available to us. And while I don't want to re-preach last week's message, I do believe that the enemy would love to use our minds to convince us that we aren't saved, that we can't be saved, that we can't be free, that we're always going to fall victim to the temptations that seem to trip us up time and time and time again. But I believe as the enemy tries to make us doubt that we can hold to what God has already done, that we can hold to the completed work of salvation on the cross. And so we don't have to doubt our salvation. We don't have to doubt that God has given us freedom and given us deliverance. We can hope for salvation. We can have the hope of salvation, according to John Wesley, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so for all of us, what we're doing is I believe we're not just taking on the helmet of salvation through the praying of some prayer sometime. I believe daily 
as we are taking up our cross daily, which scripture tells us, I believe daily we're equipping ourselves with the armor of God. And that moment where we take on the helmet of salvation is not praying another prayer. It's not saying, hey, save me again today. We are putting on a helmet of hope. We're putting on a helmet of hope of salvation, that God is not just forgiving our sins, but he's also redeeming this earth. And and he would come quickly to establish his kingdom in the earth. And that we would be a part of that kingdom because we're joint heirs with Jesus. We're sons and daughters of the king. We put on the hope that's available to us every single day. Because there's a battle being waged in our minds. I've already said it. Our minds are a battlefield because the enemy knows that if he can distract us and distort the truth and cause us to doubt what God has already completed in our hearts and in our lives, that perhaps we would give up hope. And can I speak to you just for a moment? This is, not, this is not God's word. This is just Jeremy's interpretation of God's word and the way that I live and the way that I would desire you to live. I want followers of Jesus Christ to be the most hope-filled, hopeful people on the earth. I recognize that we're living in a day, we're living in a time, we're living in the midst of circumstances where it is overwhelming so many days. With the divisive issues, I heard just yesterday someone say that the middle is razor thin, that the extremes to the right and the extremes to the left, and I'm not just talking politically, they want you to take a side and they want you to choose a side in all of the debates and in all of the discussions, and the middle is razor thin. But what I believe for all of us is that we should be hope-filled, hopeful, because we are followers of Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. Can I, just, can I just tell you that even as the world gets worse, that's okay, because that is a part of the plans of God. This is not our permanent home. This is not our eternal home. This earth will actually get worse before things get better. And so which do we believe? Do we believe the truths of God's word, that things are getting worse and it it declares the need on the earth for a savior? It declares the need for God to come and redeem all of mankind and and reinstitute his kingdom on the earth? Or do we believe that we are just subject to all of the bad things that are happening around us? I'm not talking about putting your head in the sand. I'm not talking about acting as if none of this is happening around us. That's not true. But I am saying that I hold a confidence and a hope, not in my own ability, not in the news, not in social media, not in the different debates that are taking place around us, but my hope and confidence is in the king who will establish his kingdom in due time. And so I walk with my head held high to say, you know what, I'm going to live peaceably as much as it depends on me with everyone, which is what scripture tells us to do. I'm going to speak the truth in love. I'm going to be filled with grace and truth. And I'm going to hold to the hope of salvation. Every single day when I wake up, I'm going to attempt to put on that helmet of hope every single day as I die to self and I die to the fears that I may feel and the anxiety that I may feel and the uncertainty that I may feel. I'm going to hold to the hope that's available to me through Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I believe the truth of how we do that can be found in one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1 and going to verse 2. And I was just just reading this to to my sons this week and talking about this truth. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That means that we have to change the way that we think. It means that we can't allow all the patterns of the earth that are going on around us, the patterns of this world, and the way that the world thinks, that cannot be the filter by which we view all the things that are taking place. We have to renew our mind. We have to change the things that we're thinking. And when thoughts pop into our head, we have to know how to, how to deal with those thoughts, how to handle those thoughts. Scripture tells us that we can take captive every thought. And as I was thinking about that language, I was recognizing that what, is it, what does it look like for someone to take someone captive? Well, to take someone captive, you actually take them out of their surroundings and you, you deal with them, you interrogate them, you question them, you determine their value, you determine who they are and what they are and what they have to offer. And then you either set them free, you let them go, or you lock them away. And I believe that that's what we have to do with our minds. Our, the helmet of salvation, the helmet of hope that we put onto our heads is actually about our thought life. And it's about believing that God is who he says he is and having an assurance and a hope that's grounded in him and not the circumstances around us. You are not accountable for every random thought that you have in your mind. There are random thoughts that will pop into your head and you're like, where in the world did that come from? But you are accountable for, you are responsible for what you do with those thoughts. And I believe we're called to take them captive. I believe we're called to be transformed as we renew our mind every single day, thought by thought, moment by moment, day by day, year by year, as we believe the things and speak the things that God declares about us and about himself instead of believing the lies of the enemy. And some of this overlaps a little bit with next week. But declaring the truths of God against the thoughts that the enemy might try to drop into our minds or try to use to create doubt or disillusionment. And so perhaps you would have these thoughts in your mind. Well, I can't be saved. I'm a terrible person. I've done terrible, terrible things. And so we take that thought captive. We grab a hold of it and we go, I don't even know where that came from, but I'm going to set it aside and I'm actually going to, to fight against that thought with the truths of God's word. We've already read from Romans chapter 5, verse 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. He knew you were a sinner. He knew I was a sinner. He knew what we would need. And so he completed the work necessary while we were sinners. He's done that work. We combat that with the truths of God's word. You say, well, I'll never be healed. I'll never be whole. There's brokenness in me. There's sickness in me. There's pain in me physically, emotionally, intellectually, whatever that looks like. I'll never be healed. And yet Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 tells us that by the stripes on his back, we are healed. It's already been done. It's accomplished for us. Say, so well, I'll never be free. I'm fighting the same addictive behavior. I'm fighting the same addictions and thoughts and, and, and abuse of substance and other things. And so I'll just never be free. I've prayed a hundred prayers. I've prayed a thousand prayers. I've gone down for prayer. People have prayed for me. I'll just, I'll never be free. And Romans chapter six, verse 22 says, but now that you have been set free from sin, now that you have been, you are free. Freedom is available to you. Deliverance is available to you. And I don't know how God will work it out in your circumstances. I don't know if it's a cold turkey turning away or it's a progression of trusting God more and utilizing medicine and utilizing therapy and utilizing other things, which I believe God can absolutely use those things. But I believe deliverance is available to you. I believe freedom is available to you. Maybe you would say, well, nobody, 
nobody struggles with the things that I struggle with. You don't understand the things that are going on in my head and my heart and my mind. And, and I, I'm so unique in the things that I'm facing and the temptations that I face. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says that there's no temptation that you would face except that which is common to all mankind. That it may not be that the person sitting right next to you on the couch or the person that's just across the room from you or the person that will sit next to you or sit behind you when we regather in person is facing the same temptations. But I believe that the temptations that you face, the struggles that you have, are common to all mankind because that's what Scripture tells us. The enemy only has a few tricks. And so there's a commonality. You are not abnormal. God has created you to find freedom and deliverance from the things that the enemy is trying to use to destroy you. The helmet of salvation is a reminder that God has completed the work necessary for my salvation. And in doing so, victory is ours. Victory is yours. Victory is mine. And when I'm wearing that helmet, it doesn't matter what Satan throws at me. We know who we're fighting for, what we're fighting for. We know that our salvation and our deliverance is a gift from someone far greater than the enemy that's fighting against us. And so we hold to that hope today because it means we don't have to, believe, to live in fear. It means that even as the enemy tries to disorient us or destroy us, that the helmet reminds us that victory is ours, declares the Lord. And so today I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I want to give you a chance to take a next step in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And for some of you, perhaps, it's obvious today that your next step is to move to salvation, to trust God as the Lord and Savior of your life, to trust Him, to forgive your sins, and to hold to the hope of salvation. And if that's you, we want to pray for you in just a minute. But perhaps today you would say, hey, it's not necessarily salvation for me. I need to renew my mind. I need to be transformed today. I, I need God to help redeem my thought life. I want to take captive those thoughts that I have and, and trust God in a way that I never have before mentally. So just right where you're at, I just want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. Unless you're driving right now, I just want you where you're at just to spend a moment between you and God, just reflecting on what you've heard, what you've experienced, what the Holy Spirit has spoken into your heart today. And let's give you a chance to respond. And so if you would say today, Jeremy, for me, it's salvation. I need him to forgive my sins and lead my life to be my Lord. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Maybe click the link that's there in the chat where you're watching and let us know so that we can pray for you and help you to take some next steps. We would love the opportunity to celebrate with you the decision that you're making now to enter into relationship with Jesus Christ. And now if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I just, I need to get control of my thought life. I need to renew my mind. I need to know how to take my thoughts captive. I need to be transformed. Every thought, every day, every moment, so that God can do some things in and through me that I just don't even think are possible. I want to believe for freedom and believe for, for deliverance. It's not just a salvation moment, but it's that process of, of being redeemed. And I'm trusting God and believing God for that today. God, I pray right now for every person that's listening, every person that's watching. God, I pray right now that you would help us to see you as Lord and Savior of our lives as the one who helps to bring the victory to our lives, not because of our own efforts or our own strength, because of your strength. So we stand in your strength today. And God, I pray now for salvation for those who have acknowledged their need for that. God, would you forgive their sins? Would you lead their lives from this moment forward? We believe that you can. I can't do that. Only you can do that. So God, we put our hope and our trust in you today for salvation. And God, now I pray for those who are asking you to help them to renew their mind, to be transformed, God, to take their thoughts captive, to pursue and seek freedom and deliverance from the thought life 
God, help them to see themselves the way that you see them. Help them not to buy into the lies and the, the doubt and the disillusionment of the enemy, but God, to take those thoughts captive and to point their focus and their minds and their hearts towards you. God, we believe that you can do that in their hearts and in their lives, in their minds today. Give us hope today. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.